We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go. Episode 234 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, January 21st, 2022. Good to have you with us as we embark on divisional round weekend in the NFL playoffs. Four games. Hopefully they'll all be good. Uh, who knows if they'll all be good. Most of the games last weekend, wildcard weekend, were not good uh, for the six games ended up being blowouts, but it still was playoff football. Even when it's bad, it's still good. Uh, Next segment, I'm going to talk about an undeniable reality of this season's playoff football, uh, this NFL postseason, a reality of which the Washington football team most certainly should be aware. That reality is the value of great passing offense and great quarterback play. Uh, This isn't breaking news that these things matter a lot, but it never ceases to amaze me how basically every NFL season now, the teams that do the best are the teams that throw the football the best. So I'll get into that next segment. And then after that, a special guest, pro football focus, senior data analyst, Nick Ackridge. Uh, When you hear about Washington football team players and their PFF grades, it is Nick who often is the one behind those grades. He graded Washington for a good chunk of its games this season. He's also a big Washington football team fan. So we'll do a deep dive on a number of Washington players and situations, including Taylor Heineke, the quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL draft, the offensive line, the offense as a whole, save for quarterback, the secondary, Chase Young and Montez Sweat, William Jackson the third, Kendall Fuller, Landon Collins, and Jamin Davis. A thorough masterclass on the Washington football team is coming up with Nick Ackridge, who, by the way, isn't just a data slash analytics guy. He also has a great understanding of the X's and O's of football. You'll hear that especially when he talks about William Jackson III. Also on the show, I'll talk Capitals, a punishing game for the Caps on Thursday night. If you watch the game, you know of what I speak. That was a physical affair at the Boston Bruins. Unfortunately, that also was a Capitals loss. 4-3 was a final as the Caps once again this season are missing a bunch of key players. I'll talk Georgetown. The Hoyas got back their head coach, Patrick Ewing, also got back one of their best players, Donald Carey, but the Hoyas fell to 0-4 in the Big East with an 83-75 loss 
at number 21 Providence on Thursday evening. Georgetown just isn't very good this season. And more and more, the miracle Big East tournament title run of last season. It looks like a nice few days and not much more. Uh, And I will talk Nationals with you late in the show as the Nats and Masson on Thursday announced the replacement for F.P. Santangelo as color commentator on Masson telecast of Nats games, Kevin Franzen. I have a few thoughts on that. Uh, You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Taylor Heineke, superfan Sabah. Dr. Sabah is back in the house. Uh, She loves herself some Tay-Tay, but she knows her stuff. Sabah always makes good points, always makes you think. So here we go. Right, Sabah. As I write this email, I'm at work, and instead of getting ahead, I've decided to get some things off my chest, and who better to do this with than you, of course, Al. I keep hearing about swinging hard, aiming high, sell the farm, do whatever it takes, etc., to get the franchise quarterback. Well, let's see how that has worked out so far for our Redskins football team. Via the draft, Heath Schuler, nope. Jason Campbell, Nope. RG3. Nope. Dwayne Haskins. Nope. Via trade. Alex Smith. Nope. Donovan McNabb. Nope. Our non-franchise quarterbacks. Joe Theismann, Super Bowl winner. Mark Rippon, Super Bowl winner. Doug Williams, Super Bowl winner. All right, I'll just interject right there. Uh, Joe Theismann, to me, was a franchise quarterback. He, to me, in fact, was Washington's last franchise quarterback. But continue, Sabah. What I'm trying to say is that franchise quarterbacks happen organically and accidentally 90% of the time. Even Justin Herbert wasn't the franchise guy. He would not have played if not for the Tyrod Taylor injury. Dak Prescott, if not for the Tony Romo, parentheses, undrafted franchise quarterback injury. Tom Brady, if not for the Drew Bledsoe parentheses, the franchise quarterback injury. Kurt Warner, if not for the Trent Green injury, etc., etc. Even Russell Wilson wasn't the franchise guy. It was Matt Flynn in training camp. And RG3's rookie season, his only good season, would not have ended up being a playoff season if not for one Kirk Cousins, parentheses, not the franchise quarterback, Kirk won the Baltimore Ravens game down eight coming in for RG3, and Kirk won the Cleveland Browns game when RG3 was injured. Let's not forget this. And Kirk, who was the closest thing to a franchise quarterback who we've had, was run out of town. What I'm trying to say is that just like a phone, when you stare at it, it never rings. Swinging hard, like in baseball and golf, leads to strikeouts and shanks. Swinging easy leads to home runs and long drives. In other words, don't panic. Draft a quarterback you like and let him learn while you give Taylor an offseason to get better. Ah, you knew that this was coming back to Taylor Heineke. Continue, Sabah. We will be healthier and be playing a weaker schedule, and Taylor will be more experienced next season. Why are we all assuming Heineke will not improve? Don't get worse while we try to get better. Again, as always, love your podcast. P.S. Have you ever considered a Zoom pod with your listeners? If you ever do this, I would love to be included. Well, thank you for the email, Sabah. You absolutely would be included if I ever did that. I actually have considered doing some sort of a Zoom pod with listeners, perhaps at some point 
we'll do that. Uh, maybe we'll do a uh, podcast party someday as well. You know, the Washington Football Talk podcast has done parties with listeners. Maybe I'll do one at some point. Anyway, yes, about, I have talked about a lot of what you have said. You can't schedule when you get a franchise quarterback. You have to wait for when an opportunity arises to get a franchise quarterback, and then you have to pounce regardless of your situation. Uh, You know, even if it's like unexpected, oh, wow, we have an opportunity here to get a franchise quarterback. You jump, you leap, you pounce in that circumstance. Uh, Sabah, you make a great point about how so many of today's franchise quarterbacks came about in unexpected ways, but let's also concede that in the case of Justin Herbert, he was drafted to be a franchise quarterback. He may not have started the 2020 season as a Los Angeles Chargers starting quarterback, but the Chargers spent the number six pick in the 2020 NFL draft on Justin Herbert. You don't spend a number six pick on a quarterback for him not to be a franchise quarterback. But yes, there is an organic nature to a lot of this stuff. This is part of why I don't love that Washington like has the gun to its head to get a franchise quarterback this offseason, you know? It's never good when you have to get something or you have to have something happen to you. You want to always be in a position of leverage from which you can say, hey, if we get that certain something or if that certain something happens, great. If not, that's okay too. Uh, Washington, with it readily admitting that it needs a franchise quarterback and is going all in to get one this offseason, has told the world, yeah, we're desperate for a franchise quarterback. That's not good from a negotiating standpoint. By the way, speaking of that, did you see the piece that came out on the Washington football team's website on Thursday? Uh, This was a piece written by longtime NFL writer and longtime NFL insider Michael Silver, who, as many of you know now, is doing work for the Washington football team, even though he still covers the NFL. Uh, Seems like a conflict of interest to me, but whatever. Uh, Silver and Ron Rivera are good friends. They both went to Cal. Anyway, Silver in this piece, again, a piece on the team's website, wrote the following regarding Washington's search for a franchise quarterback this offseason. Quote, Rivera, along with general manager Martin Mayhew and executive vice president of player personnel slash football, Marty Herney, is determined to work toward a franchise-defining decision. Such a move, the coach believes, will create a sense of stability inside the building, sending a message to players and fans that the status quo is unacceptable. End quote. So even on the team's own website, We have the clear communication that something big is coming, has to be coming at quarterback. I mean, Michael Silver wrote a franchise-defining decision. Michael Silver wrote the status quo is unacceptable. How often do you read something like that on a team's website? I tell you, there has never been a Washington offseason like this, an offseason in which the team so clearly had pressure, much of it self-imposed, to do something big at quarterback. The 2012 offseason is the only other offseason that comes close. Interesting, by the way, that Ron Rivera in this offseason, that's all about quarterback, will not be attending the Senior Bowl. Uh, The Senior Bowl will take place on February 5th at the University of South Alabama. This year's Senior Bowl is going to include many of the top quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL Draft. It's not always the case that the Senior Bowl includes many of the top quarterbacks in the upcoming draft. 
This year, though, it is the case that the Senior Bowl will include many of the top quarterbacks in the upcoming draft. Uh, a bunch of top quarterbacks are participating in this year's Senior Bowl. Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Carson Strong, Sam Howell, Malik Willis. But uh, Ron will be spending Senior Bowl week visiting his dad in California. Uh, so we told Scott Abraham, sports anchor for ABC7 News in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday. Now, some people are like shredding Ron for not going to Senior Bowl week. I'd like to know a little bit more about this because if it happens to be that, say, Ron's dad is in poor health, then I totally get something like this. If it's just Ron doesn't feel like going to the Senior Bowl, well, uh, that's a different story. Senior Bowl week, by the way, is the same week during which Washington will announce its new name. Like I said, the Senior Bowl will take place on February 5th. You have Senior Bowl week leading up to the Senior Bowl, and that week leading up to the Senior Bowl will include, right, February 2nd, 2.2.22. So maybe Ron just wants to be away from everything that week. Maybe Ron is like, the heck with this. I'm going back to Cali, all right? I want no part of this commander stuff. But back to our friend Sabah. Yes, I do think that Taylor Heineke still has a role in all of this. As I said on Thursday's show, episode 233, I do not think that Taylor Heineke has started his last game for Washington. If I had to bet money right now on whether Heineke will ever start a game for Washington again, I would put my money on him starting for Washington again. At some point, for some reason, and who knows what would happen then. Email from Matt Tinkler in the United Kingdom on a major move that he wants the Washington football team to make. Writes Matt, dearest Mr. Galdi, great show as ever, always keeping it real for the fans. The season for us WFT fans is over, but a huge offseason on and off the field is impending. It is clear and obvious we need a quarterback solution as regardless of the daters, parentheses, I am not one, heart of a lion, perfect backup, we do need an upgrade at the position. Quarterbacks are expensive and often require picks and players. Duran Payne is the name in play for trade bait, but why not chase Make money, money, make money, money, young. Cue the soundbite. So we have Matt here calling for his own drop. Well, Matt, here you go. Make money, money, make money, money, money. All right, there you go, Matt. Continues Matt with his email. Stay with me on this. Young is coming off an injury and prior to that had clearly declared himself as RG3 2.0. As Chuck D once said, don't believe the hype. Chase had immense promise, but has believed his own hype and clearly doesn't get it. Hard work generates success. Young is done. He has chosen his path. He has chosen revenue over greatness and clearly doesn't have the character to elevate this franchise to the promised land. We need to trade him while he still has value. Send him to New York where he can make money, money, make money, money. Wow. Well, thank you for that email, Matt. Uh, you know, this actually has come up before Washington trading Chase Young this offseason. I've gotten this sort of thing before. The biggest problem with Washington trading Chase Young this offseason to me is simple. Uh, you would be trading him at a low value point. Chase Young is coming off a bad season, certainly by his standards, and he's coming off having suffered a torn right ACL in, oh, by the way, week 10, Chase Young got hurt in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 
at FedEx Field in Week 10. So there is zero guarantee that he'll be good to go for the start of the 2022 regular season. So put yourself in the shoes of an opposing general manager. Ron Rivera or Martin Mayhew calls you up and suggests trading Chase Young to you. How much are you going to be willing to give up for a guy who, yes, is talented, but A, is coming off a disappointing season that included constant cryptic comments from Ron about not adhering to the defensive scheme and lacking in maturity. B, is clearly not a big fan of attending OTA practices. And C, is coming off a serious injury that could prevent him from being ready for the next season. Like, if you're an opposing GM, how much are you willing to give up for Chase Young right now, given all of that? If Washington was to trade Chase Young, and personally, I'm much more interested in Washington keeping Chase Young and him and the team figuring out his issues and him thriving here. But if Washington was to trade Chase, the play would be for him to have a bounce back season in 2022 and then trade him next offseason, the 2023 offseason, because this offseason, you'd really be getting pennies on the dollar for Chase Young. But Matt, I do think that Washington should be open to breaking up the defensive line. Washington is over-invested in that position group. And with the exception of a 2020 regular season in which Washington faced a bunch of bad quarterbacks, the position group as a whole has disappointed, okay? I mean, we have had a collection of first-round picks along Washington's defensive line for a while now. And the overall body of work, save for the 2020 regular season, in which, again, Washington faced a bunch of Scrabini quarterbacks, has not been that good. You know, for whatever reason, with Washington's defensive line, the whole is less than the sum of the parts. I'm not sure why. Perhaps the reasons are complicated. Well, if you are dealing with complex personal injury, first of all, we hope that you're doing well, but we also want you to know that a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wronged is Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are big Washington football team fans, and Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. You know, we were just talking about Washington's defensive line. Chris and Matt Nace will fight for you like Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne fought each other on the sideline during the loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football in Week 16. That's the kind of fight that you get from the Naces for you. Trust me, I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people, smart people. They are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours.
A reminder to subscribe to the Al Galdi podcast. If you don't already do that, subscribing costs you nothing. And make sure that you never miss an episode. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating. If you haven't yet done that, you can now rate podcasts on Spotify. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, uh, please write a brief one or two-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done that. Uh, These ratings and reviews help to make the podcast successful. Advertisers look at the ratings and the reviews. And thank you very much for doing the uh, ratings and the reviews. I read the reviews. I appreciate all of them very much. All right. So the NFL's divisional round weekend is upon us. Uh, It is one of the best sports weekends of the year, especially when you consider that we also have the NBA, NHL, and college basketball seasons going on. The two Saturday games for the divisional round of the 2022 NFL playoffs are the Cincinnati Bengals at the Tennessee Titans Saturday afternoon at 4.30 and the San Francisco 49ers at the Green Bay Packers Saturday night at 8.15 in a battle, yes, of two former Washington offensive assistants who've become very good head coaches in Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur. Hey, did you know that Washington once had Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, and Sean McVay on its coaching staff at the same time? Yeah, Washington let all three get away. What dummies! Uh, I tell you, I am so sick of hearing and reading about that. Context, people, context. Uh, I am not here to tell you that our team has been great. It has not been great, but these dummy takes of just crushing Washington for letting all three of these guys get away completely ignores what actually was going on when those guys went away. Anyway, I gave you my spiel on all of this on Wednesday's show episode 232. Uh, The two Sunday games for the divisional round of the 2022 NFL playoffs are the Los Angeles Rams, for whom, yes, Sean McVay is head coach at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Sunday afternoon at three, and the Buffalo Bills at the Kansas City Chiefs Sunday evening at 6.30. The divisional round of the NFL playoffs is a wonderful place. It is a magical place. It is a place to which our team, the team currently known as the Washington football team, has not been in many years. The last time that Washington played in the divisional round of an NFL postseason was January 2006. 16 years ago, the 2010 loss at the Seattle Seahawks. What was going on in your life in January 2006? That was the last time that Washington played in the divisional round of an NFL postseason, okay? Not the final round, not the Super Bowl, not the semifinal round, the conference championship round. No, the divisional round, the second round of the NFL postseason. Washington hasn't even made it there since January 2006. Uh, That game, by the way, remains Washington's lone divisional round game for a season of this millennium. Uh, Washington's previous divisional round game came in January 2000, the 14-13 loss at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so as we, as Washington fans, remain on this never-ending quest for our team to get back to being at a point at which the team is good enough to actually play during the divisional round of an NFL postseason. One of the things that I'm doing this NFL postseason is seeing what we, as Washington fans, can learn from those teams that are doing better than our team. Lessons in winning, you might say. And something that is undeniable is how much great passing offense correlates with teams making NFL postseasons and doing well in NFL postseasons. And this has been the case for years, and this is, again, the case this NFL season. All of this talk about Washington needing 
a franchise quarterback needing to be great in the passing game isn't just like fanboy talk, okay? Isn't just like talking head talk. This is real talk. This is necessary talk because in today's NFL, you win with great passing offense. Now, other things help you win too, but nothing matters more than great passing offense. Consider the following. Eight of the top 10 teams in the NFL in passing offense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric for the 2021 regular season made the 2022 NFL playoffs. Eight of the top 10. And the two top 10 teams in passing offense per DVOA for the 2021 regular season that did not make the 2022 NFL playoffs were two at least decent teams, if not good teams. The two teams were the Los Angeles Chargers and the Seattle Seahawks. The Chargers went 9-8 and eight and barely missed making the playoffs. The Seahawks, yes, did go 7-10, and 10, but finished with a point differential of plus 29. So it's not like the Chargers and Seahawks were two doormats this season. Eight of the top 10 teams in the NFL in passing offense per DVOA for the 2021 regular season, made the 2022 NFL playoffs. Let's move to the divisional round. Four of the top five and five of the top seven teams in the NFL in passing offense per DVOA for the 2021 regular season are in the divisional round of the 2022 NFL playoffs. Uh, Those teams are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who finished number one in the NFL in passing offense per DVOA for the 2021 regular season. The Green Bay Packers, number two. The Kansas City Chiefs, number three. The San Francisco 49ers, number five. And the Los Angeles Rams, number seven. Four of the top five, five of the top seven teams in the NFL in passing offense per DVOA for the 2021 regular season are in the divisional round of the 2022 NFL playoffs. And how about this as we talk about Washington needing a franchise quarterback. Six of the top eight and eight of the top 13 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR for the 2021 regular season are in the divisional round of the 2022 NFL playoffs. Those quarterbacks are the Green Bay Packers' Aaron Rodgers, who finished the 2021 regular season at number one in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' Tom Brady, number two, the Los Angeles Rams' Matthew Stafford, number four, the Kansas City Chiefs' Patrick Mahomes, number five, the Buffalo Bills' Josh Allen, number six, the Tennessee Titans' Ryan Tannehill, number eight, the Cincinnati Bengals' Joe Burrow, number 11, and the San Francisco 49ers' Jimmy Garoppolo, number 13. Six of the top eight, eight of the top 13 quarterbacks in the NFL and ESPN's total QBR for the 2021 regular season are in the divisional round of the 2022 NFL playoffs. And when it comes to great passing offense versus great pass defense, what happened last Saturday night should be like embedded in the minds of everyone listening right now. The Buffalo Bills in their 47-17 blowout, smashing, pasting, polaxing, of the New England Patriots on Super Wild Card Weekend last Saturday night, put on a passing game clinic despite facing a great defense in that of the Pats, and also despite the game right being played in the freezing cold. I mean, game time temperature was seven degrees. Yes, seven. And yet, 
the Bills quarterback, Josh Allen, did things to the Pats that were, you know, unholy and impure. Josh Allen, 21 to 25 for 308 yards. That works out to 12.32 yards per pass attempt. He had five touchdown passes versus no interceptions. He took no sacks and he had six carries for 66 yards. The Bills scored a touchdown on each of their seven true offensive drives, and what stood out maybe more than anything was the play calling. The Bills came out throwing. The Bills were unapologetic in their aggressive nature when it came to passing. Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable called one first down pass after another. Josh Allen on first half first down passes on Saturday night, eight of 12 for 132 yards. That works out to 11 yards per pass attempt, a touchdown, and no interceptions. The Bills didn't establish the run. The Bills threw the football down the Pats' throats, and this happened against the Pats' defense that finished the 2021 regular season at number three in the NFL in pass defense for DVOA. So despite this being the playoffs, despite the Bills facing a good pass defense in that of the Pats, Despite the game time temperature being seven degrees, the Bills came out throwing. I tell you, Brian Dable, to me, seems headed toward a head coaching job. Maybe the New York Giants head coaching job. He very much has come up for that. Brian Dable, by the way, was co-offensive coordinator with Maryland head coach Mike Loxley for the 2017 Alabama team that won the college football playoff national championship game. Look, I am a child of the 1980s and early 1990s. Uh, I grew up hearing constantly about the importance of running the football in December and January and about how defense wins championships. And there is truth in that stuff. There is. But the NFL today is very different than the NFL of even 15 years ago. Never mind the NFL of the 1990s and 1980s and 1970s and 1960s. Nothing, and I mean nothing, matters more in today's NFL than passing offense. And this NFL postseason is another reminder of that. Up next, I'll talk Washington football team with Pro Football Focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge. In-depth, high-level breakdowns of a number of Washington players and position groups are straight ahead. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, time now to welcome on a special guest to talk Washington football team, pro football focus, senior data analyst, Nick Ackridge. He's a big Washington football team fan, and he is very much involved in PFF's grading of players, including Washington players. You can follow Nick on Twitter at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge, and his last name is spelled A-K-R-I-D-G-E. Nick, it's nice to have you back on the podcast, man. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm happy to be back. Always love joining you. Appreciate you coming on very much. So I know that you guys get assigned games to grade for PFF on a weekly basis. It's not like you have one set team that you grade each week. That said, how many times did you end up grading a Washington game this season? I think I had about four. Um, I was lucky enough to end it with the uh, the Week 18 game. That was That was a fun one to watch. Oh, good, because I know that you had some clunkers from Washington to grade earlier in the season. Well, what I wanted to do with you here on the podcast was go through what mattered the most with the Washington football team in its 2021 season, and then what we should be thinking this offseason. So quarterback, everyone knows that Washington is all in this offseason on trying to get a franchise quarterback, and I do want to get your take on that. But before that, Taylor Heineke, uh, PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Heineke for the 2021 regular season had an overall grade per PFF of just 59.4. His grades for more specific aspects of his game for the most part were really bad as well. Do you think that there's any validity to the argument of, hey, it was his first season as an NFL starter, the offense was ravaged by injury, he's worth more of a look Or do the PFF grades tell the story of a guy who is worth having as a backup, but isn't worth considering further as a potential QB one? Yeah, I think I think the grade does a pretty good job at it. With with our grades, we don't use fifty as like the kind of middle average. It's it's a little different. Sixty is kind of exactly average, and he's fifty nine point four, so he's right below that. And we kind of saw that throughout the year that he would have these high games, these great games where he performed really well. And he would have these really low games. And obviously the offense and the the whole team kind of went with how he performed. And that just kind of speaks to how important the quarterback position is, how it will always be. Um, But I think he has proved who he is. And I think that's a a guy who can step in and he can come in and win a couple games here and then and be very exciting when he does it. I, I always tell people he's probably one of the most exciting quarterbacks I've watched play when he's at the top of his game. But um, I don't think he's someone you can rely on to build your entire franchise around. I think he's proved himself to be a guy that can be a reliable backup at times and step in when you need him. 
Why do you think he was such a high-variance quarterback this season? Because his good was great and his bad was awful. There didn't seem to be much of a middle ground. Why do you think that that was the case? Yeah, it's always weird with these types of quarterbacks. Ryan Fitzpatrick is is honestly the same way, and I've kind of pictured him as a uh, smaller, much more mobile Ryan Fitzpatrick in that they have a lot of turnover-worthy plays is what we call them, and and those are the type of plays where they're fumbles, they're interceptions, but most of the time – they're fumbles that are, you know, picked up by your offense or their interceptions that are dropped. We're still grading that as an interception or a turnover worthy play. So you see that with a lot of these guys. Jameis Winston is, is a perfect example of this where he'll have those really great years where the stats pop out because sometimes those interceptions are getting dropped and the defense isn't taking full advantage of the mistakes he made. And that's happened in a few games where he's had the Raiders game is a perfect example. He had the the game winning drive driving us down, and he threw what should have been a game-ending interception. We're grading it as a game-ending interception. Defense dropped it. We ended up getting in a, uh, a spot to kick the game when he field goal. And that's just sort of the the luck you kind of need with these sort of quarterbacks. You need everything to kind of fall your way in order to, to come out with a victory. When it comes to the 2022 NFL Draft, the top quarterbacks on the PFF Draft big board are Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett, Carson Strong, and Malik Willis. Uh, That order might surprise some people. I know that you yourself didn't put together that big board, but do you have a quarterback in the draft who you like the best for Washington? Yeah, I haven't. I've I've, I've done my research, full research on about about two of them. Um, I'm fully done with Carson Strong. I I really like Carson Strong's arm strength. Um, He does a lot that you want to see from a quarterback. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Davis Mills um, in that he's very smart, but he's not very mobile. And his knee issues are a major red flag, and it's something that a lot of teams might take him off their board completely just because of the knee issues. Um, But I really do like him. Desmond Ritter intrigues me. Um, Malik Willis is a a type of guy that, you know, you're going to have to draft him, and you're going to have to be extremely, extremely patient. He's very, very raw in what he does. Um, the type of guys that you would want to just kind of step in and, and hope they can be immediate, you know, game changers would be someone like Kenny Pickett or Matt Corral that I haven't fully dove into, but um, they're definitely guys that intrigue me. Kenny Pickett's hand size is, is kind of a major problem. It's why he, he wears those two gloves. So again, that's another major red flag that some teams might take him off their board completely because of that issue. Um, but I think this, this quarterback class is, is definitely not like last year's. I, I think, I think the top five guys who were drafted last year would probably all be, you know, first among this this current class. So I think every team's going to have it scouted differently. I mean, with PFS board, it's, it's going to be different than a lot of people's. I don't think you can really come away with any one guy being a surefire guy. So regarding Washington being on this quest to get a franchise quarterback this offseason, if in fact there is no true franchise quarterback available by a trade or free agency, and if the quarterback class for the 2022 NFL Draft is what it is, that is to say, underwhelming, how realistic to you is Washington getting a franchise quarterback this offseason? You know, it's tough. I mean, you don't really know what's going to be out there um, other than the draft. You just don't know what's going to happen with Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Derek Carr even. But I, I think Washington's kind of been in this constant cycle of, you know, not having that franchise guy, hoping that a franchise guy kind of falls to you, you know, taking the franchise guy in the first round doesn't turn out that way. They've always been in this constant cycle of this, and, and you just 
you have to continue to be on the cycle until you hit, until you find that guy. And I think the Bengals and the Bills are perfect examples of this. They were also in this constant cycle of being bad to mediocre teams, and you see what happens when they get that young franchise quarterback. So I'm a type of guy that wants to fully invest in a young guy, find him, and build around him. But I don't know if that's something that you can do this year. So I think it could be another year of, you know, maybe finding a, a bridge quarterback, a stopgap, maybe it's Heineke again, and, you know, seeing what you can do. But I, I think the one way to get out of this constant cycle is to find that young franchise quarterback. Yeah, and it is a cycle that refuses to stop. No doubt. Yes, it is. <laughs> We're talking Washington football team with Pro Football Focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge. So the best overall unit on Washington in the 2021 regular season, to me anyway, and I'm guessing to most people listening, was the offensive line. Uh, the extent to which the offensive line excelled, especially in a lot of the advanced metrics, really is impressive given all of the injuries and absences with which the line dealt. PFF ultimately at Washington as having the number six offensive line in the NFL for the 2021 regular season, which was a second consecutive season in which Washington's offensive line graded out well. Is it right to say that Washington, despite what a lot of people may think, has one of the best offensive lines in the NFL? Yeah, and it was something that if you followed me or listened to me before the season, it was something I was absolutely terrified of. But whatever John Masco did, the O-line coach was incredible. I, I mean, we we played four different starting centers, and, and all of them, um, I believe, finished with a grade above 60, which is, is kind of miraculous. Um, I'm a type of guy that wants continuity on your O-line. I think the more familiar you are with the guy next to you, the better you'll obviously play. But you had guys stepping in and just playing incredible. I mean, Wes Schweitzer came out of nowhere and, and he was one of our top graded guys, you know, unfortunately fell to injury. Chase Roulier fell to injury and he was one of the top centers in the league at the time. Um, whatever John Masco has done is, is pretty incredible. I personally think that Brandon Sheriff is as good as gone in free agency, and I personally would not pay him the top of the market money that he's seeking, mainly due to how often he's injured. Uh, but also, guard is a position at which you can find quality play on the cheap. Is Sheriff as replaceable as I'm making him sound, or would Washington's offensive line be severely damaged by his departure? I don't know if it would be severely damaged. Um, I think it's it's tough to find a guy like Brandon Sheriff. But speaking about Wes Weiser, he stepped in and, and sometimes played better than Sheriff. So I think he kind of gives you that that insurance to just kind of move on from Sheriff. And, and I think if you find yourself having to pay that amount of money to a guard, you're you know you're, you're not going to be able to spend that sort of money on premium positions. And unfortunate to all the guards out there, but it's not a premium position. Um, and, and guys stepped in, and you know they they played well enough. And I think. Uh, Masco has kind of proven that he can take guys off the streets and, you know, make them be average to above average players. And that's really what you need on the offensive line. You don't need, you know, full, just a full line, a full studs. You just need guys to be average to above average and, you know, kind of give your quarterback enough time, give your running back enough time to find the holes and stuff like that. So um, I think he's proven that, that you can find people and, and kind of move on from Sheriff. One of the things that Ron Rivera said at his season-ending State of the Team press conference on January 11th was that Washington's roster is good enough on offense to where, should the team get a franchise quarterback, the team is ready to win. And look, I know that Ron isn't going to trash his roster, but 
you know, he was asked about, well, is the cast around quarterback good enough? And Ron said yes. And, you know, it's interesting to me because PFF has helped to really illuminate just how much more quarterback matters than any other position in football. Do you think that Ron is right that as much as people may complain about various things with Washington's offense, it really is just a franchise quarterback away from being capable of being really good, that the cast around quarterback is good enough to where the offense can excel should the offense get a franchise quarterback? I think I think he's he's mostly right. I don't know if excel is the right word for it, but I think you can have a sort of offense that is very competent. If you if you watch these games and you're able to study the All-22, there's a lot of guys running open. Um, Scott Turner, I've been very impressed. I know some people are not very high on him, but I've been very impressed with what I've seen. He's, he constantly has people kind of running wide open. Um, the offense did get crushed with injuries. The Curtis Samuel constant injury was not a good uh, not a good thing. Logan Thomas going down, but I think there are the pieces there for this to be a, a top fifteen offense. Obviously, you're, we're not going to be able to compete with you know the Chiefs, the Bills, and stuff like that. But you kind of need that quarterback to kind of step in, and, and I think there are a decent amount of pieces around here for them to be that, that sort of top fifteen offense. Let's talk Washington defense. Uh, I last had you on the podcast in October, shortly after Washington fell to 2-4 and four with the loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field, and I asked you about why Washington's defense had been such a disappointment, and you said, accurately so, that the main problem was the secondary. It was just a few weeks after that that we had the start of Washington's four-game winning streak, which marked the start of a five-game stretch during which the defense played its best football of the season, despite being without Montez Sweat for all five of those games and despite being without Chase Young for four and a half of the five games. Now, the defense did then struggle again later in the season in no small part due to the COVID-19 outbreak. But ultimately, was Washington's defense underachieving this season just about the secondary getting off to a terrible start? I think so. Uh, I mean, Jonathan Allen had that during that winning stretch, had that stretch of all pro play. And it was it was pretty incredible to watch. Ron Payne had flashes. Um, but it's always, for me, been about the secondary. And when you're constantly moving pieces in and out, it's tough for these guys, like I said before, to trust each other. And when you're playing a lot of these zone match schemes where you have to trust the guys that he'll carry his man to your zone and he'll stay in his zone, he'll play sound assignment football and that's what they did really well last year they played a lot of zone coverages they played and they kept everything underneath them they they knew what their assignments were they didn't play outside of their assignments they kept things underneath them and they tackled um during that losing stretch when we started the season and again towards the end of the season a lot of missed tackles where you know they, they played their zone right they played their assignment right they kept the things underneath them and they were just missing tackles um that's ultimately what it comes down to a lot of times as simple as it is it's just you know tackling the guy um and there were stretches where they just they just couldn't do that but if you can kind of keep these pieces around and you know keep them together you'll see a more improved secondary you'll see a more consistent secondary you just need to keep them on the same page what do you make of the reality that Washington's defense played its best football of the season without Chase Young and Montez Sweat? Like, I don't think that any reasonable person believes that Washington is better off without Chase and Montez, but 
With most great defensive players, their defenses don't end up playing their best football without those players. To me, this is a tough thing to reconcile with these guys. But what say you? Yeah, I think it's it's weird, first off. It's just strange. But I think Chase and Montez sort of offer you I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. They, they offer sort of you know, kind of a ribbon on top of the whole thing where the defense can play well enough to, you know, to stop the, the offense from scoring a lot of points. I know that sounds very simple, but what they were able to do is, you know, kind of bend, not break. And what's what everybody says, you know, the team offense gets down in the red zone and they can kind of hold them there. What you're looking for with Chase and Montez were those splash plays, those splash sacks, the force fumbles, the strip sacks all those sort of things. And that's the kind of ribbon on top that I'm talking about, where you get that strong secondary, that strong second level defense, and then you give the guys up front enough time to make those splash plays. Sometimes Jonathan Allen was able to just completely take over and, you know, pick up an offensive lineman and essentially just move him out of the way to get to the quarterback. Um, and basically if you can get Chase Young back to what he was doing last year and you can get Montez Sweat back healthy, you can see a lot more of those splash plays where you don't have to rely on your defense to you know, stay out on the field for a seven-minute drive and hopefully hold them to a field goal at the end. Um, so yeah, you're just you're just missing the splash plays, and, and that's what they can provide. I want to get your takes on some specific Washington defensive players. William Jackson the third overall PFF grade for the 2021 regular season of just 59.7. He at his season-ending Zoom press conference on January 10th said that he this season was doing things that he had never done before. Washington in March signed William Jackson the third to a three-year, $40.5 million contract, and then this season had him doing things that he had never done before. Uh, To you, how much was Jackson's 2021 season about him just being used in a new way? And to what extent should we be hopeful of a bounce-back season for Jackson in 2022? Yeah, uh, that's a very familiar statement that he said with a lot of big free agent signings in the past. Yeah. you could you could tell when they started. He they were playing last year. They played a lot of two high coverages, a lot of zone match schemes where where you're you know you're not required to just simply just you know play press man against a guy and you're traveling everywhere. And that's a lot of the times what he did in Cincinnati. He played a lot of man coverage. He played a lot of cover three, where he's essentially just lined up against one man. With Washington's defense in the past, they were playing a lot of two high, where you know you're required to sort of read routes and read what the offense is doing before you pick up your man so again it was something that he wasn't doing in Cincinnati but you saw it when he came back and the grades show it that he was a lot better I mean he had his his three four best games um from week 12 after so it's it's it was a slow slow process but I think the the back half of the season showed what William Jackson can be uh Kendall Fuller Interesting 2021 regular season for him. He finished with an overall PFF grade of 81.5, which is good, right? Uh, Fuller struggled earlier in the season playing a lot in the slot. He then did much better as the season went on playing more as an outside corner. Kind of surprising that he struggled in the slot as much as he did, given how much he excelled as a slot corner in his 2017 breakout season with Washington. What'd you make of Fuller's season? Yeah, he he was again. He was a he was a type of guy that was you know being used in a spot that he hadn't been used in recently. Again, we we heard about the, the when he was here in 2017, he was incredible in the slot. 
Um, and now he's a lot better outside when he's playing these off zone coverages. Um, and, and that could just be because, you know, he's getting older. I know he's not that old, but you lose some of your athleticism. And when you're playing in the slot, you need, you need to be a freak athlete to kind of protect against because they can go two ways. Now you, you don't have the sideline to help you. So when you're in the slot, you need somebody who's a freak athlete. Um, and he struggled there trying to, trying to man up against some of these slot receivers. But when he moved back outside, he stayed on the right side of the field. That's where some of his best games came from, where he was able to essentially lock down that side of the field. Landon Collins. Uh, we're not allowed to call him a linebacker, but he obviously, <laughs> he, he obviously was a lot better once he made the move to the uh, Buffalo nickel role. Still, his overall PFF grade for the 2021 regular season was a mere 54.7. There's obviously a contractual decision that Washington needs to make because he's got a huge cap number. And, you know, even if he's better now in this new role, is he worth the money that he's due to be getting? But that said, uh, to what extent was Landon Collins a better player with his new role as the season went on? He's always been, outside of maybe a few seasons in New York, he's always been 10 times better when he's on or near the line of scrimmage. That's just how it's been. I, I don't know why he's so hesitant to stay there. Um, like you said, I, I can't call him the L word, essentially, to him because yeah. he won't like it. But he's so much better when he's up or near the line of scrimmage. He's quick and he can kind of shed linemen without essentially getting touched. Um, and that's what he was able to do when he's there. He did struggle with missing some tackles. Um, he did have an 83.5 grade in tackling, but he missed some key tackles when he was in a good spot. He's just much better when he's there. He does still struggle in man coverage. He gets a little jumpy. Um, he's busted a few coverages every now and again where that's when he's bang- playing back at a deep safety role. You just can't really trust him back there deep. Um, so you just kind of need to keep him near at the line of scrimmage like a linebacker. Uh, so it's essentially up to him if he wants to stay there or not. But I don't, I don't know if you can continue to pay him this big money if, you want, if he wants to be a safety. And then one more for you, and this in a lot of ways is a perfect capper to this theme that we've had here of guys being miscast on Washington's defense in the 2021 regular season. Jamin Davis, uh, Ron Rivera pretty clearly now is off this idea of Jamin Davis being a Mike linebacker at the NFL level. Uh, Ron has been suggesting that Jamin is better suited to be an outside linebacker in a 4-3 alignment. Jamin Davis's overall PFF grade for the 2021 regular season, it was 43.9. There was a severe lack of impact plays made by Jamin Davis. What do you think? I mean, is there still hope for Jamin Davis as an NFL linebacker, or do we as Washington fans need to confront the reality that he may well just prove to be a bust of a first-round pick? I do think there's hope, but I don't know if there's something. I don't know if he's ever going to be a first round sort of linebacker. Now, I didn't think he was when they drafted him. If you watched his college tape, he's a freak athlete that's able to kind of avoid linemen at the second level, but he gets lost. Um, he kind of relies on his athleticism too much. He doesn't doesn't quickly process what's happening in front of him. And when you're playing like linebacker, especially in the NFL now, you are seeing eight different things happen in a split second. You have to decipher where the ball is. It's an extremely, extremely tough position, and when you throw a guy in there, we've seen it with other first-round linebackers in the past where they just struggle because it's it's such a difficult position. You have to breed and process so much in such a quick amount of time. But I think there is hope if you move him closer to the outside where he can kind of use his athleticism, you know, kind of use him in a hybrid role where you can take advantage of, of what he does best, and that's kind of closing down in space. Um, 
But yeah, I, I just don't think he was ever the type of guy that you take round one and hope he makes an immediate impact. He was sort of a project guy. And I know most fans don't want to hear that, but that's just kind of how I saw him when he came in. Um, and I, I was kind of shocked that he played as much as he did, but it makes sense with all of the injuries that happened. Excellent insight. Pro Football Focus Senior Data Analyst Nick Ackridge. He's a big Washington football team fan, very much involved in PFF's grading of players, including Washington players. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge. Nick, thanks so much for your time, man. All the best. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate it. Well, we on Thursday night had a back-and-forth game for the Capitals, a physical game for the Capitals, and ultimately a loss for the Capitals. The Caps fell to 22-10-9 with a 4-3 loss at the Boston Bruins. Caps now are tied with the Pittsburgh Penguins for third in the Metropolitan Division at 53 points. Now, the Caps on Thursday night overcame deficits of 2-1 in the second period and 3-2 in the third period, but the Caps gave up a power play goal 19-15 in two the third period. Also, the two teams combined for 63 hits, and there were prices that were paid for those hits. Uh, The Caps lost defenseman Nick Jensen to an upper body injury. The Bruins during the game lost two key forwards, Brad Marchand and Anton Bleed, to upper body injuries. Bleed uh, was hurt on a hit by Tom Wilson. We actually at one point had a chant of F Tom Wilson at TD Garden. Uh, but the Caps on Thursday night also were without a number of other key players. Defenseman Dimitri Orloff did not play due to a two-game suspension without pay for kneeing a Winnipeg Jets player in the Caps' previous game, the 4-3 overtime win over the Jets at Capital One Arena on Tuesday night. Defenseman John Carlson did not play for a third consecutive game due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. So the Caps, by the end of this game on Thursday night, were down three defensemen in Jensen, Orloff, and Carlson. Also, the Caps are without three key forwards right now. Forward TJ Oshie did not play for a third consecutive game due to an upper body injury that he suffered in the 2-0 win at the New York Islanders last Saturday afternoon. Forward Connor Sheary did not play for a fourth consecutive game Due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol and forward Anthony Mantha remains out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th. And so the Caps in this 4-3 loss at the Bruins on Thursday night had some problems. Caps got smashed in the puck possession battle. Caps per natural statric had just 33 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Bruins 41, including just four high danger 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Bruins 12. The Caps for the game totaled just 17 shots on goal. To the Bruins, 33. Not good. And the Caps' special teams were bad. I mentioned the late power play goal that the Caps gave up on Thursday night. The Caps on Thursday night, a mere one of three on the penalty kill and no of four on the power play. Uh, Vitek Vanacek was the Caps' starting goaltender for a second consecutive game. He stopped just 29 of the 33 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, Vitek, per natural stat trick, stopped just 11 of the 14 high danger shots on goal that he faced and stopped seven of the eight medium danger shots on goal that he faced. There were positives for the Caps on Thursday night. Alex Ovechkin, productive again. Uh, He had a primary assist. He had a team-high tying three shots on goal. He had a game-high tying nine shot attempts, and he had four hits. Ovechkin, number one in the NHL this season in points at 56, also remains number one in the NHL this season in goals with 27. Evgeny Kuznetsov had an even-strength goal, 4.07 into the first period, though he also committed a third-period slashing minor, but Kuznetsov's good season continues, and Nicholas Backstrom finally scored a goal. Uh, He had an even-strength goal, 10.17 
into the third period for his first goal of the season. But in a season in which the Caps have dealt with so much in the way of injury and absence, we're now right back to the Caps being without a number of key players. Next up for the Caps, home to the Ottawa Senators, Saturday night at 7. Well, the good news for Georgetown is that some key people are back. The bad news for Georgetown is that it remains windless in the Big East. The Hoyas' rough season continued on Thursday evening. Hoyas fell to 6-9 and nine overall and 0-4 and in the Big East with an 83-75 loss at number 21 Providence. The Hoyas allowed Providence to begin the game on a 13-0 run and never led in the game. Now, the Hoyas did trail by just three points at the half at 37-34, but the Hoyas then allowed Providence to begin the second half on a 21-8 run for a 16-point deficit at 58-42. Now, the Hoyas got some key people back. Uh, The head coach was back. Patrick Ewing was back. He returned from a two-game absence, as was announced by Georgetown, quote, in accordance with D.C. Department of Health guidelines, end quote. So presumably, he was dealing with COVID-19. Assistant coach Louis Orr had been serving as the Hoyas acting head coach. So good to have Patrick back. Also good to have Donald Carey back. He returned from a three-game absence caused by illness, and Carey was really good on Thursday evening. 35 minutes as a starter, he went five of nine on threes, finished with 21 points, seven rebounds, and four steals, though he did have one assist versus four turnovers. Uh, Kobe Clark was available off a two-game absence caused by illness, though he didn't play. He has played in just two games this season. Hoyas do remain without freshman Jordan Riley, who was out indefinitely due to a shoulder injury. But defense was a problem for Georgetown on Thursday evening. The Hoyas allowed Providence to go 9 of 19 on threes, allowed Providence to go 18 of 32 on twos, and the Hoyas had a hard time of defending without fouling. Providence went 20 of 22 on free throws. Hoyas went 10 of 11 on free throws. Georgetown's offense was interesting. The Hoyas were great on threes. Hoyas went 13 of 23 on threes, but the Hoyas also went just 13 of 42 on twos. So Georgetown was markedly better on threes on Thursday evening as compared to on twos on Thursday evening. Uh, Caden Rice, the graduate transfer from the Citadel, he actually came off the bench on Thursday evening, and he was great, just 21 minutes off the bench, but he went five of seven on threes, finished with 19 points. That's outstanding. 19 points in 21 minutes of playing time. Uh, The 6'5", five-star freshman, Amino Muhammad, went away on threes, three of seven on twos. He finished with 12.6 rebounds, including three offensive boards, two steals, and one assist versus three turnovers in 35 minutes as a starter. But two Georgetown starters who struggled were point guard Dante Harris and Colin Holloway. Uh, Harris 0-2 on threes, just three and nine on twos in 31 minutes as a starter. He did have Four assists versus one turnover. Holloway just one of three on threes. 0 of six on twos in 26 minutes as a starter. Just not enough firepower for Georgetown. You know, they have some decent players, but they never seem to all be on at the same time. Georgetown's defense has been a problem. And so we have what we have, which is Georgetown being winless in the Big East. And next up for Georgetown is another tough task. Hoyas home to number 11 Villanova, Saturday at noon. All right, one more item before we call it a show. The Nationals and Masson on Thursday announced Kevin Franzen as the new color commentator for Masson telecasts of Nats games. So Kevin Franzen is the replacement 
For FP Santangelo, it was this past November 3rd that we learned that FP was out as the color commentator for Madison's telecast of Nats games. Remember, we this past May had multiple reports that FP had been accused of sexual misconduct. The situation was murky and ultimately inconclusive, and uh, not so coincidentally, he is done as the color commentator for Madison's telecast of Nats games. And I personally think that the Nats wanted FP out. Keep in mind that broadcasters for Nats games are selected by the Nats and not Masson. So I do think that the Nats wanted no part of FP moving forward off that accusation that came up last May. And by the way, I say this uh, not in any way saying that FP definitely is guilty of that of which he was accused. Uh, Just because you're accused of something doesn't make you guilty of that something. But That was a very bizarre scenario last year because FP Santangelo was doing Nats games, then he was off Nats games, then he was back on Nats games, then he was off Nats games. Very strange situation. And again, we still don't know the truth in terms of whether he's guilty or innocent of that of which he was accused. Uh, FP became the color commentator for Madison telecast of Nats games in 2011. Uh, He stopped what had been a revolving door of Nats color commentators for Madison. We had Ron Darling in that initial national season of 2005. We had Tom Pachorek in 2006. We had Don Sutton in 2007 and 2008. We had Rob Dibble in 2009 and 2010. So FP Santangelo did Nats games on Madison from 2011 through 2021. That's quite a run. So it has been a while since the Nats have had a new permanent color commentator for Madison's telecast of Nats games. Uh, Kevin Franzen was a major league player. Uh, Kevin Franzen was a utility player for nine major league seasons, including playing for the Nats in their 2014 National League East winning season. Uh, Franzen spent the last four seasons as part of the Philadelphia Phillies radio broadcast team. Uh, He also has hosted radio shows for MLB Network Radio and KNBR in San Francisco. Look, to me, uh, you give Kevin Franzen a chance. I mean, personally, I want three things from color commentators during baseball games. Number one, knowledge, including, by the way, knowledge of analytics, uh, which way too few color commentators have, and this is a real problem in baseball. Number two, honesty, which too few broadcasters have, as too many are afraid of losing their jobs, and thus the broadcasters don't always say what they're really thinking. And number three, personality. You know, you want someone with some energy, with some oomph. You want someone who you feel like is uh, here to have some fun. So let's see how Kevin Franzen does in all three of these categories. What's unfortunate is that the Nats didn't get a guy who is their guy. I mean, yes, Kevin Franzen played for the Nats, but nobody thinks of Kevin Franzen as a national What the Nats ultimately need in terms of a color commentator on Masson or wherever Nats games ultimately are televised uh, is a guy who played for the Nats and was good for the Nats. You know, you want someone with whom fans feel a connection, like what the Orioles have had for decades with Jim Palmer. You know, maybe Ryan Zimmerman when he retires, maybe Max Scherzer when he retires, but there just is no emotional connection for Nats fans with Kevin Franzen. And that's not Kevin Franzen's fault, but this is a reality. I mean, to me, there was never really an emotional connection for Nats fans with F.P. Santangelo, other than he had been doing the games for years. But F.P. Santangelo played for the Montreal Expos. Washington, D.C. baseball fans don't care about the Expos. So yeah, I mean, a lot of this is a function of just the Nats having not been in D.C. for long, right? 2005 was the Nationals franchise's first season in D.C. So this takes time, I'll grant you that. But eventually here, We got to get someone as the full-time color commentator on Nationals telecast 
who has a connection with Nats fans. I do think that that's important. But all of this doesn't mean that Kevin Franzen can't be good as the color commentator for Masson's telecast of Nats games. So let's see. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 235, will feature plenty on the NFL's divisional round weekend as viewed through a Washington football team prism. We'll examine who won and why and what Washington can take from that. Also on Monday's show, I'll discuss the rest of our Washington, D.C. sports weekend. The Capitals will host the Ottawa Senators Saturday night at 7. The Wizards will host the Toronto Raptors Friday night at 8 and will host the Boston Celtics Sunday afternoon at 3.30. And we'll have plenty of college basketball this weekend. Maryland will host number 17, Illinois, Friday night at 7. Georgetown will host number 11, Villanova, Saturday at noon. Virginia will be at NC State Saturday afternoon at 4. Virginia Tech will be at Boston College Saturday at noon. Have a great weekend. And I'll talk to you on Monday. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.